You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. We are here at the clubhouse in beautiful downtown Rhinebeck. The coronavirus is not totally over, but we've emerged from doing phone-in interviews to having a guest live in the studio, and I couldn't be any happier about it. And speaking of happy, we have a wonderful guest with us today, a multi-instrumentalist, but this is a multi-instrumentalist on steroids. I'm talking about Clyde Jones. Clyde, welcome to The Rick Z Show. Thank you, Rick. It's great to have you here. It's an honor to have you on the show. Good to be here. You live in Red Hook, New York, which is it's a little town uh, that I happen to grow up in. For our listeners, it's right next to this town at Rhinebeck, where we sit now. But you're not from there. You're from Saginaw, Michigan. That's right. How did a musician like you, I imagine you were a young man when you came out this way, was it for musical reasons, like a lot of people come to New York, or were there other reasons? Musical. I, um, I started uh, to visit concerts I can't say that I bought a ticket because I snuck into a lot of concerts as a kid <laughs> and um, and I got a chance to meet a lot of musicians a lot of the players um, a lot of the players I met were just hanging out and you know killing time at Soundcheck and mm-hmm. so forth and it seemed like the the bulk of them were from New York so um, it turned out that I was laying the groundwork to become a New Yorker myself. And how long have you been here? I moved to New York in 86. How long have you lived in Red Hook? I lived in Red Hook for three years. Three years. There's a a Simon and Garfunkel line that that reminds me of you, because you're from Saginaw, I guess. Uh, It's from the song America. I don't know if you've heard it or not. The line is, I've hitchhiked from Saginaw. I've come to search for America. It, (laughs) It reminds me of you a little bit because a lot of people come kind of looking to play music or fortune and fame. It just seems like New York is the place to go or L.A. or one of those, you know, either coast. Yeah. Was it like that for you? Was it exciting to come here? It was very exciting. It was like nothing I've ever experienced. Um, You know, I felt like I was just not in Kansas anymore. Um, I mean, but my curiosity was peaked before um, I made it to New York. Because uh, for so many years meeting and talking to musicians from New York, and they all said the same thing. They said, you you know, if you ever really want to be successful, you have to leave this area. You have to leave this small town. So I took their advice. That's what they've been telling me my whole life. (laughs) I don't know where to go from here. As I said at the top of the show, you're a multi-instrumentalist. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. You play just about everything. You play drums, you play keyboard, you sing, you do backup vocals, you write, you produce, uh, guitar, bass. Mm -hmm. Uh, Would you say bass is your main instrument or do you not have a main instrument? Bass, I would say, is my main instrument. Is it your favorite thing to play? No, it's not. What is your favorite thing to play? My favorite instrument to play, believe it or not, is the the instrument that I am uh, the worst at, which is, in my opinion, is uh, piano. <laughs> Yet it's your favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite because, you know, you're always searching. You're searching to find yourself, um, and you get lost in melody, you get lost in harmony, and... Um, and I like the exploring aspect of um, of being a musician. So when you're really good at something, you're fluent on an instrument, um, you pick it up and, and within seconds you're doing everything that's familiar to you. I like to hunt a little bit, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, 
piano was, was elusive to me because it was an instrument that you don't find everywhere. You can't just like uh, walk around town with a piano, you know, yeah. for, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. until synths um, started to become more popular, of course. But when I was growing up, all my cousins played and everything. And, and sometimes if you get up for a minute to go and get a glass of water, or whatever, someone's playing your instrument and then you end up having to take another seat. So it just seems like that's the way my family um, were. We just kind of rotated a lot, and a lot of us played a lot of instruments. So it's just kind of necessity, you know. Speaking of melodies and harmonies, a guy that's written plenty of great melodies that you've worked with extensively is Daryl Hall Yes. of Hall & Oates. You play bass with Hall & Oates, with Daryl Hall extensively on his television show and mm-hmm. on his albums, and you've toured with those guys. He's been a champion of, of you and your music for quite some time, longer than you've been playing with him, right? Since yes. the early 90s, 91. Absolutely. I heard, I don't know if this is true, you could clear this up, but I heard that you brought a couple of demos or something of, of yours that you made and approached him and said, hey, w- would you mind listening to this? And, and he did, and then he ended up shopping some of that through through the business a bit is that yes, true that is true and he approached no less than tommy matola with the material yes <laughs> what was the outcome of that what did tommy think of your music i don't know if tommy was ready or looking for um anyone in my position at that time but nothing really became of it i can't say nothing because uh i feel like it uh it brought me closer to Daryl and, and John as well, you know. So um, that was the best part of uh, doing that. And every day hanging around those guys is a, a school day. So I can't say that um, nothing became of it. Nothing um, as far as a contract or or a recording deal or anything um, from Matola um, came as a result of that. But Do you think he could be ready at some point? I mean... Uh, I mean, is that a dead-end avenue at this point? I mean, there are plenty of other it, avenues, but, I mean, that's a big one. That is a big one. I'd have to say uh, the chance of that happening is pretty nil at this point. Well, as Daryl Hall said, screw Tommy Mattel. Okay. <laughs> we could cut that out, but we're not going to. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, we, we, we resp- just so people know, we respect Tommy Mattel, but yeah. he should have signed this guy. He, he's, he blew his chance. Back to Daryl Hall. I'd like to play something that you're on. You sing backup vocals on it, and you play bass on it. Mm-hmm. It's from his album, uh, Laughing Down Crying. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting, uh, kind of intriguing title. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to figure that out, Laughing Down Crying. But he's got a, he's got a, I had an album on vinyl called Dreamland. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Dreamland. You Absolutely. probably played stuff off that. Yeah, certainly. I'd like to play a song called Message to You. Oh, yeah. You mind if we do that? No. Daryl Hall, Clyde Jones. Listen to this. Seems I got left at the station I didn't have change for the train
And I'm constantly amazed at how many people are self-taught because these great players seem like they have to be schooled. That, that's how I think about you when I listen to your music. You, you have to have some kind of knowledge, that some kind of schooled training, but you may not, do you? The quick answer to that is no, I'm not schooled. Uh, but hanging around musicians that are schooled, you know, I, I get a lot of theory through osmosis, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, no, I, I'm not schooled. Uh, so you learn through the people that you work with? Yes. That's its own school, right? My, there. Um, my uh, uncles uh, taught me to play. Your uncles did? Mm-hmm. Big musical family? Big musical family. Mm-hmm. Uncles, cousins, you name it. You played with so many people, too. I'm sure you've learned a ton from the people you've worked with. Absolutely. One album that sticks out in my mind is Fallen Angel. That was in 1993. Oh, yeah. Larry Coryell. Absolutely. The late, great Larry Coryell. Yeah. What can you tell me about what you may have learned from Larry? Wow, there's so much to uh, uncover with that. 
I have to say that, wow, um, I have to thank uh, people like Larry for giving um, me a chance because I was young and eager and I feel like I was on my way to something and those guys saw me for what I was. He and Creed Taylor actually, they gave me a shot. And um, what I learned from them is um, I just had a bird's eye view of, um, of how to conduct yourself. Um, of how uh, the pros, you know, how the pros do it. Really. How to be professional. How to be professional. Have you ever worked with Morali Coriel? Yes, absolutely. He, uh, for our listeners, he lives locally, plays locally, and I mean, it seems like all the Coriels play guitar great. <laughs> <laughs> They're all amazing, right? <laughs> Speaking Damn of playing well. great, you play great too, and that's Thank why you. you've worked with so many people, and I, I can't even list them all here, Clyde, because there's so many great ones. But I wrote down a little bit of a list. I, I want to just kind of read off some of these names because, you know, they're so impressive. We have you worked with the OJs. You worked with Sharon Jones. Again, mm -hmm. sp speaking of the late great, the late great Sharon Jones, uh, uh, gosh, died way too young. Absolutely. Super talented. The, the Dap Kings. I mean, who's better than the Dap Kings? That's right. I mean, you, we got Cheap Trick on the list. We got Johnny Resnick of the Goo Goo Dolls. We got Billy Gibbons of uh, ZZ Top. I mean, we got uh, Luther Vandross. No, the Luther Vandross's band, um, a couple of guys from his band are um, responsible for me getting um, making it to New York. So that's my connection. How so? Well, when I was a kid and I was writing uh, songs and recording demos and everything and sneaking into concerts, uh, of course I had my demo tape, my cassette tape, and um, I got to meet uh, some of the same musicians, some of the same people year after year as they would tour. And uh, some of them were, um, were really um, helpful. Uh, and trying to guide a younger person towards um, where they wanted to go. Sure. And Luther had a drummer who passed away, a Yogi Horton, and his guitar player, Doc Powell. And the two of those guys, they gave us all the time we needed to answer every question that we wanted to ask. Wow. And not just once, but many times. They, they were just uh, inspired by me and uh, uh, the band that I had at the time uh, that our tenacity we're, we're trying to get to where we want to go they felt like we were in the middle of nowhere and we were trying to find our way to madison square garden you know so they were very instrumental in helping and so basically i just showed up in new york one one uh one year and uh because i was saying hey could i we come to new york and they, yeah we'll show you around and everything and one day i just showed up and they and they were like and then I, I called them and said, hey, could you come pick me up at uh, JFK? And they were like, where? <laughs> <laughs> so no warning or anything. And needless to say, those guys, um, um, they they showed us hospitality and um, showed it, kept their promise and oh. showed us around New York and everything. And that was a, a visit. And then uh, I ended up moving to New York. Eventually. That's amazing, and yeah. and that that they would do that. You don't see that very often, right? But I'm sure they were responding to, as you say, your tenacity and uh, certainly your talent. So I'm sure yeah. it didn't take them long to to catch on to that, and then they were yeah. they were willing to help you achieve your dreams. Essentially, they certainly did. They that you know I can't thank them enough for that. They put us on the right path, like 
as soon as uh, I moved to New York, you know, right away. A lot of these people that you played with and got a chance to jam with have been on the t Daryl Hall's TV show, Daryl's House. Mm -hmm. But those aren't the only people you played with long before you met Daryl Hall, or long before you worked with him, I should say. Mm -hmm. You worked with Average White Band. Correct. How many albums have you made? Five or six albums with those guys, right? Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, I, I lose count. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of work. I remember yeah. seeing you at Red Hook's annual Hard Scrabble Day. Oh, yeah. Playing with Average White Band. I was in yep. the audience, and oh, wow. it was a fantastic show. <laughs> Maybe the only time I saw you play. I certainly hope it's not the last. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a feeling it won't be. But, I mean, that must have been uh, a great experience when you first got that job. And you were an official member of the band. It really was. It, it was better better than I had anticipated. I mean, those guys, they treat you like family. You know, so I felt like I was um, a part of something bigger than just, more than just musically, you know, so. And you play keyboard sometimes in that band, or is that your main instrument with them? I started playing other instruments because my writing, um, writing music, um, sent me in that direction mm -hmm. you know like um just trying to be a competitive writer and i played a lot in the studio and around town whenever i um, got gigs i worked as a singer and so a lot of singers didn't know that they knew i wrote but they didn't know that i played instruments oh. at one point and then um when i got the average white band gig i was like okay great i'm more i'm really comfortable on bass and they're like, yeah, but you got to play bass and you got to play keyboards. And uh, he just assumed that I could play keyboards. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. So, <laughs> um, and then I started, uh, I started growing as a result of that as a keyboard player. I mean, I know my way around on key on on keyboards and piano, but um, I grew up, you know, um, playing at my grandmother's house and and everything. So. You know, it wasn't like uh, that was the first time I ever played keyboards, but live was was it was a different thing. So then, a lot of their um, original music had two guitar parts. So he was like, "You could, you know, you play the guitar parts on uh, on the upper register of the keyboard," and and um, and I thought like, "Well, it's easier for me to play it on guitar." And so he's like, "Oh, that'd be great then." So then I ended up playing keyboards guitar and bass those guys their work ethic they love to play so you know as anything you play a lot you get better and better and better yeah. you know and so when i got that gig um it helped me to really grow as a front man so well you're very humble about your abilities uh particularly keyboards <laughs> but you've got to have Thank something you. on the ball if you're going to play with average white man yeah that's right and yeah. as a bass player, was this around the time uh, Hamish Stort left the band, or or was he still in the band at that no, time? No, Hamish had left uh, some time before, but you never know it because <laughs> people are uh, always asking, where's Hamish, where's Hamish? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, when Paul McCartney requisitioned you, you just say yes. Yeah, that's, that's right. What, that's what happened to him. Yeah. And he was great, and, uh, and that great band as well. Yeah. Yeah, what a bass player. I always Absolutely. thought it was funny, there's a Hamish Stort and a Stort Ham. <laughs> uh, both on bass. Uh, yeah, uh, that means nothing. That's this is one of my many musings on this show that mean nothing. <laughs> oh well. Back to the guest, Rick. Back to the guest. <laughs> Speaking of average white band, I want to play their 1974 hit, "Pick Up the Pieces." Mm -hmm. What do you say we do that? Absolutely. Let her roll. <laughs> Thank you. 
That's what I'm talking about. You know what's fascinating to me is jingle writing. Mm -hmm. I always was fascinated with that since I was a little kid because you got a finite amount of time, a finite amount of notes, but you got to pack a punch with those notes and sell a product, make people want to go out and buy leather boots or <laughs> you know, Coca-Cola or chewing gum or whatever. That's right. You do a little jingle writing, don't you? I did. I did for a number of years. I... Uh, I wrote uh, when I lived in Manhattan. Um, that was one of the things I did. Um, worked in the world of jingles. And what was that like? I really like it. You know the the pressure because oftentimes you you didn't you never had enough time to like really dwell on anything. You had to like be ready to go in a moment's notice, so to speak. And then it was always surprising what you uh, turn out at the end. But it was a bit of a guessing game, also. You know, like sometimes it's. It felt like as if they were saying, um, well, I'm thinking of a color. Um, can you uh, figure it out? Can you guess? You know, <laughs> so I was kind of feeling around in the dark a bit. But In a couple of weeks, we have a world-class jingle writer coming on the show. His name is Steve Carman. Back mm -hmm. in the 70s, he wrote, <laughs> when you say, Bud, you've said it all. And uh, I love New York, uh, which was the big ad campaign. And uh, I'll have a lot of questions for him. I mean, he's obviously... Uh, very successful. I always try to write jingles. It's harder than it looks. Yeah, it is. <laughs> now, speaking of jumping from it's harder than it looks to it's easier than it looks, 
which is an album that you produced. Oh, there's a clever, oh. there's a clever segue. <laughs> oh man. Yes. Uh, am I good or what? <laughs> that was good. That's totally yeah. unintended. The fabulous Freddie V. Freddie V. Absolutely. What, what's really amazing to me about this, not only do you play on the album, but you, you arranged it, you produced it, you composed mm -hmm. stuff. That's a whole different thing. I mean, there are great musicians that can't produce. There are great producers that can't play a note. They're not mutually exclusive. What is producing like for you? And, and are you self-produced when you do your own stuff? And how often do you produce for other people? Is this something that's in your future? I'd like to produce more, I suppose. Um, one of these, that's probably something I'll do more of when I'm not traveling after traveling, I should say. But it's an interesting gig because, say for instance, you got a lot of great players on a song and uh, everything they play is great. But someone has to be the bad guy and somebody has to say, that's good, but it gets in the way of the vocal. That's good, but it steps on the melody and, you know. You gotta make hard choices. You gotta make hard choices. And uh, sometimes uh, musicians um, are now always the people to do that. That's the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, task with, uh, with, with, with producing oftentimes. And, you know, and someone has to has, have a vision of that song and approach. And um, do, do you have a production sound? Would somebody say, that's, that's a Clyde Jones production, I can tell. I'd like to think that I do. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think so. Do you produce your own albums? Or do I you? do. Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. Boy, it's a lot cheaper that way, too, isn't it? It certainly is. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about some of your albums. Uh, yeah. One that really springs to mind that's impressive, Waltz of the Wild Rose. What can you tell me about that album? I know it wasn't your first album, right? Your first album was like in the early 90s, yeah. 91 or something yeah. like that. That album in particular, I had been really itching to do something for it and threatening to do something of my own for quite, quite a while, you know, being a side man and playing other people's projects I wanted to do something of my own that album in particular I wanted to say a lot so so that um, that album is um, what I'd like to call I put everything in there but the kitchen sink that album says a lot you know it, it, it tells a story like uh, uh, people who know me as a writer um, friends oftentimes my lyrics and everything re reflect what I'm going through at the time that song in particular Walter the Wild Rose is, was about uh, keeping my eye on um, the reason why I moved to New York is to uh, you know become a, a, a musician. It, it's a look back at where I came from and where mm -hmm. I ended up but when I wrote that record. It's essentially an R&B album, wouldn't you say? I would say. Yeah, I mean, it, it struck me as an R&B album. Mm -hmm. It has that R&B sound, as, as you do when you play with other people as well. Yeah. How did the album do, and how is it continuing to do? It's a little silent at the moment, mm -hmm. sad to say, <laughs> but uh, did you but get it to did sell quite it? well. I did, yeah. How about when you play with other artists like Average White Band or Daryl Hall, do they let you sell it at the shows? Um, they would, but I'd never ask. Because you're a classy guy. <laughs> but I bet you they would want to champion your music. and uh, They certainly uh, would, yeah. I want to play something from this record. For my money... I'd like to play Nothing Like the Something. Great. All right, uh, off his album, Waltz of the Wild Rose. Here's Nothing Like the Something, Clyde Jones. <laughs>
question from your man Would you do every little thing you can to satisfy him? Uh-uh. Meanwhile, it treats you like your love is such a bore Like he's looking for something more to pacify him oh, I'm just a stranger on the outside looking in And it seems you need the kind of about your influences a little bit Marvin Gaye I know is one of them absolutely yeah I know Daryl Hall is a huge Marvin Gaye fan. yeah whenever I hear Daryl <laughs> sing I, I hear Marvin so do I you guys bond over a little Marvin Gaye oh, in your absolutely. adventures yeah yeah you've got to right absolutely it's just incredible the influence that that guy's had yeah I love this intro I saw a clip of you and Daryl Hall on YouTube and you were doing I think it was I can't go for that or something like that and yeah. he does this kind of elaborate groovy intro where mm-hmm. he it seems like he's channeling Marvin it's the most like Marvin I've ever heard yeah. him sound like he's got all of the the vocal manner all the woo-woo, 
and all. Yeah. Well, I can't do it, but he can, and yeah. you can. But uh, I got a kick out of it because it's it's so Marvin Gaye. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no secret. He and I are both really are big Marvin fans. Yeah. How can and, you not be? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I saw another clip of you playing Superstition, and I think it was somewhere on YouTube. I'm not sure where you were, but I was thinking, oh man. He, he's doing a great version of this. He's got to love Stevie. Oh, absolutely. Stevie's a big influence. Oh, as yeah. Well. Another guy who has a, a, an enormous reach, yeah. and everybody loves Stevie Wonder and is probably in one way or another influenced by him. <laughs> another guy, uh, sad to say the late great, which is, I can't even believe I'm saying that, Prince Rogers Nelson. Yes. I call him Prince Rogers Nelson. <laughs> Everyone else calls him Prince. Yeah. How has Prince influenced you? When I was trying to find my voice as a writer, as a lot of people when they're coming of age as a musician, they listen to a lot of, um, you know, current stuff. And Prince was like dominating the radio. So I listened to a lot of Prince and um, he's influenced me because uh, originality, well, far out front than anything else about him. Um, his daringness to, uh, to take a chance on something, an idea that he has and take it all the way, you know, like... I'm sure there were battles, many battles with record companies like that doesn't sound like a single because um, record companies, in my opinion, sometimes can get um, locked into what they think sounds current. And that takes the art out of artistry to me because you should be able to, if something sounds good, it shouldn't matter um, that it's not as R&B or that it's more R&B or that it's more hip hop or more rap. I feel like they have to put everything in its own category and a Prince-defied category. He sure did. Nowadays, everybody is called a genius. Everybody's called brilliant. They throw those words around so easily. But yeah. that guy really was. He certainly was. You know, he's probably the, the last true genius I can remember in pop music. And since he's passed away, and I, I, I tend to, I'm missing all those guys. Whitney and Prince and, and Michael Jackson even. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we knew how good we had it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I wrote a song dedicated to Prince right after he died called uh, Walk on Clouds. Hmm. That was my way of um, paying tribute to uh, to his influence. Yeah. You know. you know, I hear other influences in your music. This is just my own personal take on it. I hear a little Steely Dan in your style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's a chordal thing. You know, yeah. Some of your changes are very sophisticated, mm -hmm. and, I, and I hear that sophistication like I hear when I listen to Steely Dan. Yeah. I also hear a little George Benson in there. Yep. You're a Benson fan? I'm a Benson fan, definitely. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and when I moved to New York, uh, there was a different class of musicianship that uh, I was exposed to, and uh, I, I think New York had a lot to do with uh, that part of my um, musical uh, approach, uh, the sophistication and so forth. Journey to Daylight, another mm -hmm. album of yours. Mm -hmm. How does that album differ from Walt's? That album, to me, I I didn't want, I wanted to say a lot with um, with with a little production. Uh, all those songs on that particular CD, I wrote um, just on acoustic guitar. And I just wanted to lightly dress them up with production. By the time I got to that project, I didn't want to write anything about, uh, gee, you look fine in those uh, pants, uh, you know, um, hey, let's go back to my house and yeah, um, 
you know try on some new pants try on some new <laughs> yeah I, I wanted to write something different than that I wanted to do an album that was a little bit more personal I, I wanted to keep it kind of low profile um, as far as uh, production is concerned were you happy with the results yes I was happy with the results my problem when I make an album is I can't listen to it anymore because I only hear the things I did wrong. I never hear the things <laughs> I, I do right. Does that happen to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was just going to be me. Uh, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, um, there's a song on that album that I'm thinking of now more than ever called Friends. And that song, that's, I don't really delve into the whole racism thing, mm-hmm. but um, but I felt like I saw the writing on the wall that the world was becoming more and more um, divided as people. And I have friends of all kinds, all backgrounds. And, and it's just kind of sad to see, see the world turning that way. I wrote a song just basically about, you know, like within the United States, for instance. What if I was just American? What if, what if people saw me as a fellow American first and not anything else? And um, and I wanted to write a song about that, you know, just to say in, in so many words, in other words, that we're, everybody's the same, you know. And um, if you open yourself up to conversation, people find out that they have more in common than they mm, have mm, yeah. otherwise, you know. Do you play out locally, Clyde? Do you, do you have a band of your own that you go around and play with? I play out ever so often, but I, I can't say that I do it frequently enough. Daryl and John both keep me busy enough where um, I don't get a chance to do that as often as I would like but I can't argue you know that uh, it's, things aren't going great because uh, I like playing with those guys so you like must want to promote your own music though I do I do I mean you're a busy guy you know yeah. it, it's got to be hard to find the time it's all. It takes a lot of time just to put a band together that you're happy with, and rehearsals and all this stuff. Yeah. I imagine you don't have a lot of time for that. Like you said about looking at yourself after listening to your own records. Mm-hmm. For me, I want to do. I want to put together a show that um, I can look back and say, like, "Wow, that's exactly the way I wanted to do it." And yeah. that, that requires a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of other people other than yourself. Uh, you know putting a band together and rehearsing them and that kind of um, detail I haven't had uh, time to pull off when you make recordings with some of the big names you work with some of those big names have big name producers do you learn from those guys I certainly do yeah are you always watching I'm always watching yeah yep I feel like I say uh, every day is a school day those guys are just full of uh um, knowledge, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a big advantage when you, you're recording at that level. You can learn so many things from some of the best. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, one of the one of the guys you work with, as we've mentioned many times now, Daryl Hall. I want to play something else because I found this. I thought this was the coolest thing. This is a version of one of his monster hits. I can't go for that. Mm-hmm. And it's you, Daryl Hall, CeeLo Green. <laughs> what was that experience like? <laughs> Well, that was actually the first episode that I ever played on for a live from Daryl's. And I was so thrilled to be there. And uh, that episode in particular, uh, I mean, I had known, I've known 
everyone in the band and the guys for a long time. So I had some kind of uh, you know rapport with them and played with them. Um, but that was the first time I ever did the show, and the show was popular. That was just a great experience, a lot of fun. It looked like fun. Yeah. I want to play that version right now on the show. The great CeeLo Green, the great Daryl Hall, the great Clyde Jones. Listen to this.
I love that. I love that. That's, uh-huh. that's just great. Yeah. You know, we're almost out of time. Whenever there is a, a, a fun interview that I really enjoy, it just goes by in a flash, uh, as this one has. But before we go, I want to bring up one more name because I just find this very interesting. That's Donald Harrison. Oh, yeah. For the listeners who don't necessarily recognize (laughs) that name, this guy's a great jazz saxophone player (laughs) from one of the greatest places on earth, New Orleans, Louisiana. Has uh, New Orleans had an influence on you Uh, as a a musical place? Not until later, because some of the things that came out of New Orleans at the time, I was naive to it. I didn't know that, uh, I didn't realize that it was having an effect on me, but uh, uh, not until I put two or two together, which was quite some time later, but not growing up. But um, I certainly have uh, affinity for uh, those cats, the New York, uh, New Orleans uh, oh, musicians. Yeah. yeah, it's a very special place. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite places on earth. Every time I go down there, I, I'm just reinvigorated and re-inspired by the music. Yeah, yeah. It's And it's all over be. the streets, you know. It yeah. is hard not to be. So how did you get hooked up with Donald Harrison? And, and you guys worked on the movie soundtrack, actually. Yep. That was through another thing that happened through uh, Creed Taylor. He was trying to move more into um, add more of a uh, urban sound to his, He, you know, Creed um, produced a, a lot of great jazz records, you know, like George Benson and um, earlier George Benson stuff. And, you know, um, Grover Washington and, you know, just, just tons of stuff. So he saw me as a up-and-coming you know r&b guy he wanted me to write with some of his jazz guys i ended up writing a track with uh it was myself and don sebesky a great arranger we ended up writing a, a song and um creed said you know what this needs saxophone and he reached for the phone <laughs> as easy as that easy as that yeah that's how it happened was that for the soundtrack that was film? for the soundtrack what was the name of that movie? Is it tooth, something about a the Devil's Tooth. The Devil's Toothpick. Yeah, that's right. That's an interesting title. Yeah, and that was a very prominent song on that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, that's really something. Yeah. I, I, to me, that's very exciting that that you you're playing also on jazz material. Are you a jazz musician as well? Can you play jazz? I love jazz, but uh, as a lot of pop uh, musicians would say, oh yeah, I can play jazz. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a whole different animal. It is. I think the jazz guys have an easier time playing pop than the pop guys have playing jazz. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know? I mean, man, secrets out. I, 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 I love jazz, but, um, but you know, that's a different kind of uh, path. You know, <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah. So before we wind down entirely, I want to at least play one more song by Average White Band because this is one that you sing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much singing do you do with those guys? Which with average, average white, white band? band? Yeah. Oh, uh, wow! I sang a considerable amount of the songs. I, there was myself and Alan Gorey, who was the other singer, and the two of us, we we traded instruments a lot, and we um, and we both traded lead vocals. And if you weren't singing lead, you were singing background. So if Alan was playing bass, I was playing either keyboards or guitar, and if Alan's playing keyboards i'm playing bass and he's and he's playing keyboards or guitar yeah wow so like you guys are running all around the stage yeah, well, i'm running around yeah it was kind of an interesting <laughs> interesting uh time because 
whenever we would come to town, you know, you, the promoters would have the back line and everything. It was like, you guys have only five guys and you have more back line than Tower of Power. You know, like, it's like, yeah, well, we play all these different instruments. And so whenever um, people saw the show, they were like, oh, I get it. That's why they have, that's why Clyde has a guitar app, a keyboard app, uh, a bass app. Uh, <laughs> and you guys and a have done section here and monitor section here. You've done shows with Tower of Power when yeah. you were with Average White Band, Absolutely. right? You guys have lots played on the same bill. Oh, what a great bill that is, right yeah. there! <laughs> Absolutely, it was a lot of fun. I come and see that one anytime. Yeah, I've seen both of those bands before, and they're just powerhouses. Yeah. So yeah. to take the show out, what are we going to hear? What you're going to do for me is a song that uh, written by Hamish Stewart and um, re-recorded by Shaka Khan, mm -hmm. who was very successful with it. So Shaka's version of it is um, pretty well known, but this is the original. We did it uh, closer to the original, and this is called What You're Gonna Do For Me. Average white band featuring Clyde Jones. Listen to this. The time. 
Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I mean, what a pleasure it's been sitting here talking about oh, thanks, your career. Rick. Thanks for doing it. I, I hope you got what you need. I certainly got more than I needed. <laughs> believe me. We're going to have to edit it down because I think the dog was snoring. As oh. we, we have the studio dog, uh, Oliver, uh, snores during the interviews sometimes. <laughs> that's going to work. But Rusty's a great editor, so I don't worry about it. Excellent. You come back anytime and see us. Okay, great. Thank we'll you, Will do. Thank you. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Rusty Johnson. Uh, click subscribe, people. I know you want to do it. I know you want to do it badly. Just click subscribe. And then how about this? Oh, wait, we've got to thank Paul because this is our first time back during Corona. And Paul has done a great job just making this a safe environment. Clubhouse is open for business now. Thank you, Paul, for hosting us this evening. Can't wait to come back. Next week, we'll have another guest here. We hope to see you then. 